Blog Talk Radio. Tonight's show is called Win, Lose, or Draw with your host, Jenny Milchman. Inside Radio will air monthly when host Jenny Milchman takes listeners deep inside the scenes to hear about brand new thrillers and how they came to be. Very exciting times here on Suspense Radio to be able to have this radio show. So make sure that you definitely subscribe to us on iTunes so you do not miss a thing. So without any further ado... I say, welcome everybody to Inside Thrill Radio. Hi everybody, and welcome to Inside Thrill Radio. This is our very first broadcast cast in conjunction with International Thriller Writers and Suspense Magazine, and we're so happy to be here tonight. I have four guests on air, and the reasons that they've come together is kind of going to be a surprise. This is Inside Thrill Radio. We like to give you cliffhangers. We like to give you thrills. I'm not even going to say until after the guests have gotten a chance to introduce themselves and talk about their books a little what the real question behind tonight's show is. But let's start with our guests. We'll go in alphabetical order. Matt Coyle. Matt, Matt wants us to know that the most interesting thing about him, so that's a joke. Matt writes the Rick Cahill series of crime novels. The third in the series is out. It's called Dark Fishers. And it's an interesting crime series because it takes place not from a police detective character, but kind of from a character who has the background without being an insider anymore. And tonight, one of the things I want to talk about that we really need to delve into is kind of that insider-outsider motif, maybe in all three of the Rick Cahill books. But Matt, welcome to Inside Thrill Radio. Thanks for having me. And our next guest is David McCaleb. David has served in the Air Force as a finance officer and has some pretty interesting elements to his background. The very first in his Red Ops series is called Recall, and it's out now. It opens with a scene that I think almost everybody listening to the show we'll be able to relate to, because it takes place right outside of a Walmart. I'm going to describe a little more about it later, but not at the moment. Right now, we're going to end with, you can all relate to that scene outside the Walmart, but probably not what happens, what David does to us next. So, welcome, David, to Inside the Radio. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and Nancy Netman is a certified sommelier and the author of the Wine Series of Mysteries, the second is coming out just about two and a half weeks from now. It's called Uncorking a Lie. And it features her sommelier character, Katie Stilwell. And Uncorking a Lie is looking at a, I think jaws are going to drop, a $19,000 bottle of wine and whether it really deserves to be so. Welcome, Nadine. Thank you so much for having me. And Lily Wright. 
She's the author of Dancing with the Tiger, a debut novel, although she also has a travel memoir out called Learning to Float. Dancing with the Tiger takes place in a country that I think is in the news a lot and certainly, you know, making headlines these days and really, really brings a side of it to a life that if you haven't traveled there pretty intimately, nobody would know about. Um, welcome to Inside Snow, really. Oh, thanks. It's fun to be here. So I gave kind of, you know, little tidbits about each of these books that we're talking about tonight. I'm hoping our listeners are going to discover all four of them, Recall and Uncorking a Lie, and the Rick Hill series with Dark Fishers, The Latest Century, and Dancing with the Tiger. But I'd really like each of our authors to talk about their own works a little bit and the inspiration for writing them and, you know, all the parts that I didn't say, especially when uh, we get to David talking about, let's just start with David talking about Recall. Um, you know, I mentioned that it opens in Walmart, a place probably every single one of us has gone, but then something happens that's not going to take place on your average Walmart shop. David, can you tell us a little bit about the first that up? No, absolutely. It, it, it opens up with uh, the protagonist's name is Red, uh, Red Harmon, and he is it, he's finishing uh, his weekly ritual with his family, going back to the going back to the car, and is followed by three three muggers. And he ends up, um, I mean, they hold him up at knife point. He ends up actually killing two of them very quickly, almost three. Uh, injured, seriously injures the third one. And just a few minutes later, he doesn't remember doing it. He doesn't remember any of it. And uh, even after it, it's called on security video, um, he's, he's actually um, spoken to, he's shown this video. He's at, at the police station a little later, and he just doesn't, he doesn't recall it, even though he's seeing himself do this. And so he does it in a manner that is very skillful, very quick, so he's obviously been trained. And uh, so he, he, as he investigates, as he, as he starts to uncover this past that he didn't know he had, uh, characters from that past start coming back. And uh, they, only, they, they not only threaten his life, they, they threaten the life of his family, national security brought in, he, and he ends up... With uh, with his old group, um, some new characters, some old, um, but he ends up with a group of operators running through Iran and uh, blowing up things, killing people, crashing airplanes. It's uh, it's a ride all the way all the way to the end. So one of the things that I haven't gotten to say, David, in in any of the conversations or email exchanges we've had is that. When I was reading the first in the series, it sort of struck me as the antithesis, in a way, of a Reacher novel, because this guy's just, you know, rather than sort of being able to contemplate his life and reflect on it, this guy's just thrown into the situation. So I'd like to know if you agree with, with my interpretation, and, you know, readers can have wacky interpretations, but also if that was sort of any part of your process in creating it, did you want to bring in that sort of not prepared factor and have it... I mean, it informed a certain, yeah, wildness to the ride, to my mind. No, I, I appreciate it. And, yes, um, Red is, is many things that, that many of us fathers are, and he's many things that we wish we, we could be. Uh, but life happens, and uh, life happens in many times and in many different ways. And um, it, it, to him, he's just a guy that's just trying to do the right thing, and that's what's so irritating and frustrating to him is that um, he, he keeps on trying to do the right thing, trying to make good decisions, and in the end, it's it's almost like the deck gets back against him. But 
I mean, he, he, and that's maybe kind of like what, where you, you mentioned Reacher. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of, of Reacher, and uh, really what holds me through his novels is, is the character and, and just being able to relate to a man very unassuming uh, who, um, who you want to win. And so that's really what I tried to weave in here was create a character that not only you can relate to, because these operators, I mean, they're normal guys. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. they're, 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 the stereotype of the lone wolf out there is just not true. I mean, these operators, many of them have families, they have kids, um, and they're just, I mean, they're regular folks in a, in a way. And, um, and so I wanted to be able to create a character that was relatable and therefore that, that, that the reader could get behind and actually just want to, to win. Right. So, yeah, so listeners just joining us, we're talking with David and Caleb, in addition to our other three fine guests, about the first in the Red Ops series, um, which is called Recall. And, yeah, I think that's interesting what you just said, David, because when I was reading it, I was thinking it's Daddy Lit meets, you know, military thriller. And you did. Yeah. You got in that normal, everyday guy, and I think that will actually widen your audience quite a bit. But let, let's jump over to Matt Quell, who's the author of the Rick Cahill series, and the latest is just out. It's called Mark Fishers. And I'm going to Matt after David because one of the things I've been thinking about, Matt, is, well, first of all, you spoke about Rick's kind of, you know, father issues and sort of the, the, the very the emotional side to him, but then there's also he's this very hard, terse, there funny. I, I find him a funny kind of guy. But he's definitely a character who embodies a lot of what I would call male or macho traits. Can you tell us about the inspiration for this series and this particular entry in it? Well, if he's macho, I guess he's obviously taking after me. <laughs> definitely. That's what I was thinking. Uh, um, uh, when I wrote the first book, uh, the first uh the version, probably, I don't know, 10, 12, 12, 13 years ago. Uh, it was, you know, autobiographical in some ways. And then as I, the more revisions I made, and there were quite a few, um, it got further and further away from um, me as a person, which is the way it should be. And when you write first person, it's always going to be a little autobiographical. But uh, actually, the further I go, I have really nothing in common with Rick. I didn't really pattern up after anyone. Um, I can tell you specifically where he came from. Although I, the, when I really started connecting to him was uh, when I was in probably the first um, draft of the first book, maybe, I don't know, 20 or 30,000 words, and I was going back to revising the beginning, and the, the uh, first sentence of the book popped into my head, which is, the first time I saw her, she made me remember, she made me forget, and for me, that, that opened up the character, because it made me realize that he's got this uh, very dark history, um, he was a much lighter character before I came up with that, he's got a dark history of something he desperately needs to forget, and, and he wants to go back and find some joy in his life. Um, so uh, he started out a little lighter than he ended up being. He's a fairly dark guy. Yeah, but that's interesting that in his, you know, conscious inspiration, he was maybe not so dark, and then that stuff started bubbling to the surface of his character. Exactly. The subconscious is where I get my best work done. When I try to concentrate and think on my own, it doesn't work out that well. I just let the subconscious <laughs> control. 
Yeah, it's smarter then. It's smarter than us. Okay, so the first in the series came out in 2013. It's Yesterday's Echo. Night Tremors followed two years later, and now Dark Fishers just a year after that. Can you tell us a little bit about Dark Fishers in particular, which I know is about, um, you know, the country, music industry, and a suicide that might have been a murder, and, and a whole lot of kind of deep stuff. Tell us about Dark Fishers. Well, in the beginning of Dark Fishers, Rick is now a uh, private investigator. He's about, I think, three years into being a private eye. And um, he used to work for a very successful firm in La Jolla, making a lot of money. He actually bought a house, but things changed, of course, in his life. So as the first book, the third book opens, he is working uh, out of his own shop, a one-man uh, deal, and he needs money. He's three months behind his mortgage. He's about to be foreclosed upon, so he needs a, he needs a job. And a woman uh, contacts him about the suicide of her husband, he had been a cop about uh, and had supposedly committed suicide, I think, three or four months before. The um, medical examiner removed the suicide. The police department was fine with that. Um, so Rick thinks that's probably what happened, but he honestly needs the job. So he, he um, takes the case um, only to find out that the guy where he was a cop was La Jolla Police Department, where uh, Rick does not have a good relationship. The uh, chief of police is actually trying to put him in jail for the rest of his life. Um, so he takes the case, needs the money, and then he's got to deal with that. Yeah, that's kind of what they tell us, right, about thriller writing. Just keep throwing as many problems with the uh, characters you can and see if they get back up again. He definitely pulled that off in Dark Fishers. So, okay, let's make a big leap. Let's make a big leap. Inside Thrill is all about big leaps. We're gonna we're gonna leave our our male authors behind and we're gonna or to the side and we're gonna go to the rarefied world of wine. And Nadine in uncorking a line lot <laughs> we're dealing with the most rarefied of the wine world, right? Can you tell us a little bit about the series in general and Katie, but also about this particular book which deals with a maybe nineteen thousand dollar bottle of wine. <laughs> Absolutely. So I started the series where the wine journey starts. So the very first book, The Canting of Murder, starts in the vineyards because I wanted to begin there. The second book takes place at a dinner party where Katie Stowell is invited to because one of her customers at the restaurant where she works has invited her to come celebrate this bottle that he's paid $19,000 for. And as the bottle's open, she realizes it's not what it says on the label. So things follow from there, you know, and, of course, um, murder. And um, I'm just blanked. <laughs> sorry. Well, the um, wine world in general and your own personal connection to it comes through very clearly. You said, yeah. So I, I myself am a certified sommelier. So I use all my wine knowledge um, throughout the book to kind of like put little facts in. And I have my character, Katie Stillwell, she's also a sommelier, use her wine skills to solve the mystery. So in, with, a, with a sommelier, you do a lot of deductive wine tasting where you have to decide, um, figure out what each glass is. You get a glass of red wine, you have to tell what the varietal is, where it's from, if there was oak used, what year it was. So every glass in front of a sommelier mm. is a mystery to be solved. And so with this series, I thought it'd be fun if she uses that same knowledge to solve mysteries. Were you aware of that when you started? Because when I was reading the book, and I see how you, you start each chapter, which is kind of neat, with a wine recommendation. And, like, so the very first chapter has a wine that's good for beginnings and kind of light and fruity and frothy. And then, as, you know, the wines get darker as the book goes along and more multi-layered. But were you conscious of the way in which 
wine tasting is mystery solving so that your sommelier character, you know, Katie would also be a detective in both sides of her, you know, life. It's it's funny because when I because I've done the exams and looking at each class did seem like a mystery. So then it kind of seemed like a logical leap then to do oh what if I do a mystery solving the mysteries of wine in each class. So yeah, I, I definitely made the the connection. I thought it would be a fun a fun way to have a mystery go progress. It's really interesting because I, I don't often talk too much about myself on air, but I I always wanted to be a writer, but I never knew what I wanted to write until I was also working in it career, not at all a sommelier, but, you know, it, it's sort of the the phrase that I went around the country on tour saying is it was almost like life was a suspense novel, and I sat down with my first suspense novel, but it's kind of similar, because you're saying all of a sudden this opened you up to the process of solving a mystery. It did, but it's actually the um, fifth book I had written, and the first four weren't wine-related, so it's kind of fun that now my two passions of writing and wine have fused together into these books. Okay, we're going to come back to that. Our next question after Lily tells us about her debut novel is going to be how many books were written before uh, the debut was published or, or that kind of thing. Don't anybody let me forget about that. Even though it's not the theme of today's show. That's how I'm keeping our cliffhanger right there in everybody's consciousness. Okay, but Lily Wright, she wrote Dancing with the Tiger. It also introduces us to another world that I think many people will not know much about. In fact, probably people know more about wine. It's not the $19,000 uh, variety then know about Lily's world, which she brings us into. And that's the world of art collecting and in particular masks. So Lily, please tell us about how you came to Dancing with the with a Tiger and why why this yeah it is with the tiger, I'm sorry. I'm staring at it and I got the article wrong. And why this particular story, this particular character, um, who sets off to Amer uh, to Mexico from America in search of the map. Well, it all began that I lived in Mexico twice in my life, once um, in a small artist colony called San Miguel, um, and then once later in Oaxaca uh, with my family. And um, I, Mexico really feels like a second home, and I've had some of my best times in the country. I actually met my husband on the street corner for 15 minutes, then never saw him again for three years, and talked back up on my life. Um Beautiful landscapes, amazing art. I loved all the handicraft art. And I really fell in love with masks. I bought some coconut masks the first time I went down there, which are literally painted in the back with the coconut shells and hung them up in my apartment. And uh, fell in love with that, the art of the mask. But at the same time, years later on sabbatical, I went back with my family to Oaxaca, and we had a really difficult time. There were teachers were protesting, as they did every year on the square, and um, the governor sent in the troops. There were tear gases. An American filmmaker was killed and seven other Mexicans. My husband got hepatitis and turned yellow with jaundice. Mm. Uh, our housekeeper robbed us. And when I got back from Mexico, I was like, I am done with Mexico. But then I realized I was really just ready to start writing. So my mm. goal was to write a story that told everything that I knew and had felt and loved about Mexico, but also it is a scary place at times. Um, and so I wanted that contrast. Do you think having only when you had started to experience the dark side of the country, you were able to come to this particular book, which is, I mean, it's funny because I think it has both the light and the dark side in it. It's not, I, don't, I never want to say just the thriller, 
but it's not it's not a traditional thriller. There's many other elements. There's the kind of character women's fiction element of Anna's life and the life she had before. And I'm wondering if it was that second trip to Mexico when all that stuff happened, you know, that enabled you to write the story the way you did it. Yeah, I think there's always a trap to be, you know, the American in Mexico and to over-romanticize any country, right? So I think that having positive and negative experiences made the story more nuanced. But the story, the novel has a lot of different characters, and um, it's sort of a more of a chase story, I think, is the premise. Um, uh, Ron Charles in the Washington Post that it's like, it's a mad, mad Mexican world. Remember that movie? Mm-hmm. Which I always adored, right? But it's sort of the Maltese Falcon, right? There's a treasure. There's lots of characters who are chasing it, all for different reasons. Um, there's a gardener who wants to run away with his lover or a drug lord who wants to be buried with a mask. And you're rooting for Anna, who's the protagonist, who's trying to get the mask for her father. Yeah, I kind of actually like the the mess guy who was digging out in the beginning myself, even though, I mean, I know you're not necessarily supposed to. But, you know, you really feel for some of the problems that have taken root in that country and in our own country and, and how they've really shaped people's lives in ways that are inescapable. I'm so glad because he's my favorite, too. He's the looter. And I um, <laughs> he wasn't even in the book. He wasn't in the novel until maybe year mm-hmm. four. Uh, when I thought, no, oh, that's a talk about where this treasure came from. So I wrote two pages where the looter's digging up the mask. And then I was like, oh, that was fun. Maybe he needs to come again. <laughs> and then pretty soon I was just making these looter pieces. And, and then I realized, well, of course, if he's in here, he's got to meet Anna. All the characters have to come together. So he was a late addition, but he's also my favorite. Interesting. Well, I bet all the writers on can probably relate to us. So let's all... Nadine and Matt and David and Lily, I'd really like to hear from you. We'll go right back up the line, friends. You know, we'll start with Matt. Um, I mean, we started with David. We'll start with Matt this time. Just tell us real quickly, because it's not the topic of the show about which I keep dropping hints. But how many books before you finally got published? Tell us in whatever way it makes sense. Let's start with Matt. Um, my first book, however, I uh, revised it probably six, seven times. So. I was going to be that author who, you know, never got published because he kept trying to perfect the first book. But so yesterday's echo, that was the first book. Yesterday's echo, yeah, which took me uh, from floppy disk to publication probably ten <laughs> years. Now, I'll give you a brief, a brief uh, side on that. I, I, an agent I really liked in New York had, had uh, rejected me. One of many rejections, as we can all, most of us can relate to. And she said, "Well, you know." She's very nice, and we're talking afterwards. She goes, well, you know, um, it took Jonathan Kellerman nine novels before he got published. I think that was the number. So she's trying to avoid my spirits. But I was thinking, well, I'm 50 years old now. How, how old does she think I'm going to be? And I find out. Anyway. That's so a book a lot of iterations. And were, just real quick, were the iterations coming from you, or were they coming because you were submitting to agents, they were giving you feedback, or both? Um... Mostly me. When I get when I I send it out and then you know get the no, number of rejections and then I take a look at it and go right, it needs more work and it did. Interesting. Okay, David, how many books before the first in the Red Ops series? Well, I was I was on my third when I when I finally mm-hmm. was offered a, a contract for for recall. So I was I was in the process of writing the third one. 
um, and so that's know, the third one that. Yeah, go ahead. Of the of the series uh, of the right. series, so I was a little bit well, I was very stubborn, um, and I uh, you know was revising that that particular. Well, learning how to write is what it comes down to. That that particular book for for several years. And uh, so finally I said, I've got to move on. And so I wrote the second one, was on the third one when, you know, after probably hundreds of, of uh, rejected queries, uh, finally received a, um, a, uh, an offer for recall the first one. And then you had three ready to go. Were you mentioning in your query letters that there were three in the series projected, or were you just focusing on recall? I was I was focusing on recall. I cannot remember to tell you the truth. Um, I mean that there, there was uh, I mean the contract I was offered did include three, so they were aware that I was currently working on the third one. It felt kind of odd selling something I I didn't actually have done yet, but uh, <laughs> you know apparently that's the way it works. Yeah. Well, when it works. Okay, Nadine, how many books before you told us? This is what got me started on this whole thing before Decanting a Murder, which came out last year. Um, how many books before that? Four, you said? There were four before that. So, The Changing of Murder was lucky number five. And uh, <laughs> four books are going to stay in the drawer. One may have, you know, come out eventually. But, yeah, I took five books, uh, ten years. And I give me given advice not, um, not to give up on a book until you've queried about a hundred times. So, um, before I got an agent, I sent 421 queries over the ten years. Good for you. All right. Lily, you had a book out before Dancing with the Tiger. It's a travel memoir. But how many novels, how many fictional works before Dancing with the Tiger? None. No, uh, but I I have a sense of failure story. I wrote Learning to Drift. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was my MFA thesis from Columbia. I got that published. Then I wrote a second memoir about the birth of my son. Uh, we went through infertility treatment, and it was happening while my mother died, so there was the birth of the son, the death of my mother. I wrote like that was a beautiful book. I could not get it published. They're like, we laughed, we cried, we don't want to do with it. Um, <laughs> so that went right into the desk drawer, and then I got really angry, and I said, I'm going to Barnes & Noble, I could start seeding, and I was like, okay, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book with a big, fat plot, but I'd never written fiction before, not one word, so I sat down to write. Dancing with the Tiger, and it took six years and 33 drops, but it's my first work of fiction. I mean, that's incredible. It's also incredible. I feel as if having such a personal story, the the, the second memoir, being rejected must have fueled you. I mean, you said it did. Like, to have something like that not be taken, you must have channeled a lot of that emotion into Anna's character, and she deals with a lot of loss, even though it's not, you know, the different kind. Yes, yeah, and there's, there's sort of Echoes, I think, of her. She's lost her mother, and so I think that was part of it. Yeah, there was a lot of, I think, anger can really work in your favor if you, mm-hmm. uh, if you use it right. You know, if you use it right and say, okay, I'm going to write something. And so that's just what I did. I just sat in a cubicle in the basement in Indiana and and, and rewrote it. I didn't, yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea how to write a long-form fiction piece, but that's why yeah. it took so long. Yeah. Oh, I mean, the listeners are going to find it ironic. We've been talking about struggles. We've been talking about the path to publication and, and these particular books with Matt Coyle and with David McCaleb and Nadine Netman and Lily Wright. And now I'm going to bring us to the real topic of the show, which we're going to delve into for the next half, which is about 
the Effective Writing Awards on a writer's career. And the reason we're talking about that and the reason this very interesting kind of, you know, motley, in the sense that we don't all necessarily fit together, group of writers is on air tonight is because every single one, Nadine and David and Neely and Matt, have been nominated for a major award for this 2017 awards season. So first of all, congratulations to you all. And second, tell us about the award um, nomination and talk a little bit about, you know, sort of the identity of being an award-nominated or winning author. And let's start with Matt Coyle because Matt has, first of all, the most books out, Dark Fishers, which is the third in the Rick Cahill series. And second, Matt's already won several awards. He's the winner of the Anthony Award. He's also won the Ben Franklin Silver Award and the San Diego Book Award. And he's been nominated for another Anthony, the Seamus Amos, and what do you think of awards? I lost it there at the end. You just asked me a question. I'm sorry. I said, Matt, we want to think, we want to hear what you think about awards. Oh, um... It was a very general question. I love being nominated for awards. It's, um, it makes it, it, uh, blood, sweat, and tears worthwhile. Um, it's better when you win, that much I know. Um, so, uh, I'm the only one on the panel right now that has lost and has nothing to look forward to. Nadine has a loss too, we commiserate, but she's got something to look forward to with the Agatha. So. Yeah, we're going to get to the panel. No, no, no. Even though we called the show Win, Lose, or Draw, I really think it's something of a misnomer because I think this is my deepest, honest feeling. I mean, I'm really going to try to soul search a little more about this, but I think my feeling is that the books that are nominated for awards are all so great that it almost becomes, I mean, with, with no disrespect to the process mentioned at all, it almost becomes any one of them could have taken the award home. Yeah, Matt, when you talk about it, I think you feel as if, well, there's one that's kind of a superior to the other entries, and that's the one that's chosen. In other words, you see a lot more rhyme and reason to the process. Am I getting that right, or am I off base? No, I don't think so. You got it wrong. Um, okay, tell me. Uh, just, no, for me. Uh, no, I don't think that um, necessarily, um, like, when I won the – Anthony a hundred years ago. I don't think my book was necessarily better than the other three or four or five. I think mm -hmm. that it hit the it hit the taste. So I think they're all going to be good. I think any any book that's um, nominated, the writing, you know, the uh, the wordsmith, the writing, that all should be good and that's impulse. And then it just comes down to a matter of taste, probably. Um, so um, I don't. I mean, I've judged some uh, awards, and there has been um, in. Um, one instance, this was, no, never mind, I can't get too deep into it, but I won't say what it was for, but, but there was one that was clearly, clearly the winner, but I don't think that, but in other judging I've done, that's not usually the case, they're all usually very close, so, um, I really do think it comes down to taste to some degree. Interesting. I, I, I've had a similar experience myself, that, that's interesting, as a judge. Um, we could do a whole show on the judging process, but we will not. Um, I will, we're going to talk to each other about where they were when they learned of their nomination and what it was like when, you know, only in Matt's case for this award season has his award been announced, but we'll talk a little more about that. But I want first to sort of get each author's, you know, perception of awards in general and um, 
you know, whether this was something they expected and whether they were thinking about this when they wrote the book. Um, Matt, I suspect your answer to that question will be a little different because you had already worn and been nominated for several in the past, but when you were working on Dark Fishers, were, did you have award season in mind or was it just not even on the table? No, it wasn't on my, I think I, I mentioned this before that usually when I'm writing a book, um, I take his crap and, uh, as I'm reading, <laughs> so I'm re-reading re- re- what I wrote the day before and, uh, revising and going along, laying more tracks. Um, I really don't think I'm writing a great American novel. I think I'm writing something that's not very good, but finally at the end of supervision, I think that it's, um, this is pretty good. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not embarrassed by it. That's what I shoot for. Not to be embarrassed. Um, <laughs> But of course, once you're nominated, then, then hell yeah, I want to win. Right. 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 And then there's that moment, of course, when you're at the ceremony, but we'll get into that. But let's, let's skip over to David. David's first in his Red Hot series, Recall, is nominated for a Best Thriller Award. It's, um, a very exciting award given out by international thriller writers at Thriller Fest each summer. If people listening do not know about Thriller Fest, I invite you to check it out. It's, it's a glamorous night in a, you know, banquet hall. Uh, David, tell us a little bit about, you know, getting nominated and how you feel about it and the whole process. No, absolutely. I, I had no idea that I was, that I was nominated until I just received the same email blast to, to all the rest of the, of the, uh, the international thriller writers. Um, announced who was who was nominated, so I was absolutely shocked. I was going through, kind of just wanting to see uh, if I knew anybody that was nominated. And then, you know, I my my eyes hit my name. I was completely shocked, and uh, so I was. Needless to say, I was very very excited about it. Uh, I was. Uh, I've been told that it doesn't necessarily have an effect on on sales, but I'm going to try to. <laughs> I want to play it for everything I can, um, and I'm going to I'm going to test that theory. That's for certain. Um, but I think the the biggest thing that uh, the way it affected me was just it, it felt it felt good that I mean yes you can you can read reviews and and kind of um, that you can get some some feedback there, but it was really nice just to internally feel validated, kind of like wow somebody really enjoyed my work and. And that's important because it is a it is a somewhat lonely business of, of writing because you spend a lot of time alone and uh, and and yes you've got your editors and your review groups your peer groups but but nonetheless when when you get something like this it just really made me feel um, like hey I'm, I'm you know I'm not wasting my time uh, this this is something that that uh, somebody really finds value in. So I was not expecting it at all. When I was writing it, I was not writing it for that purpose. Uh, when I was writing it at the time, I had no idea. Uh, but you better believe now, as I write, yes. I mean, I'm going to I'm going to have those things in mind. Right. It's the kind of thing you sort of, I think it does switch our identities a little bit as a writer, and I want to get into that. You brought up a lot of really interesting points, especially about the validation, and also about the translation to just nuts and bolts sales and marketing. But before we get into that, let's let's go to Name Dean, who's uh, uncorking a live nominated for two awards, and, and okay, fine, we've, we've learned that it was a draw, that's what we're going to call it for one of them, but the uh, Agathas are still coming up. Name Dean, tell us a little bit about, um, or that was... Wait, no, Nadine, clarify for me. 
Which novel? Are we, we're talking about. Oh yeah, yeah. the Cantina Murder. Yes, because because Cantina Murder is nominated. Okay. Yes. Because I was, let me just explain for our listeners. So award season is basically taking place the year after a book comes out, which is why I just got tangled up now. Um, so Nadine's Uncorking Alive is coming out not even for two and a half more weeks, but the novels from last year are the ones that we are, and it depends on exactly when the pub date and all that, you know, comes down to. But right now we're talking about The Canting of Murder, nominated for the Agatha and the Lusty, and may indeed win the Agatha. Is that right? Well, yes, there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. A good chance. One out of five, right? One out of five, yes. Okay. So tell us. Tell us about finding out and tell us what you think about awards in general. So I'll touch on on what the other members have said today. Um, I didn't write the book with awards in mind at all. I was just writing it for myself and then the fact that people enjoyed it other than friends and family. It's it's still kind of mind-boggling at this point. It's it's so exciting that other people like it. So definitely adds a little bit of validation um, just knowing that you're doing something that someone's enjoying. And then for the awards, for the Lefty, um, I received an email from Stan and Lucinda Serber um, letting me know that I'd been nominated for the Lefty right before the announcement went out. And then for the Agathas, they actually call you. So they called a couple days before the announcement and let me know that I had been nominated, which was such an honor. And it was also very surprising to get a phone call. I, I've said this before, but I almost thought I was going to be in trouble about something when they phone. I'm not used to getting a lot of phone calls these days, and it's like, you need to talk to you about something? I was like, okay. So when they said I was nominated, I was doubly thrilled because not only was everything okay, I'd actually been nominated. We're calling about that mystery you wrote. <laughs> so what is your feeling, Nadine, about awards? on a writer's career, the effect of awards. Well, you know what? I'm going to pretend I never asked you that. Lily, let's talk about your nomination, and then that is the next question. I'll give you guys all a heads up, which is what is the potential effect? Matt already is going to have some thoughts on this, the effect of awards on a writer's career. But, Lily, let's talk about Dancing with the Tiger, which has been nominated for the Edgar Award for Best First Novel. Where were you? How did you find out? And what do you think about awards in general? Um, I was in Sundance in Park City, Utah. I'm a college professor and lead a trip um, with 20 college students every winter after the festival. And there's a two-hour time difference. It was the morning. I'm sitting on the carpet in our condo, and I'm checking email, and I got a congratulatory email from Lori Raider Day, um, who's the head of the Midwestern Mystery Writers of America, saying congratulations. So I just Actually, I just called up our little back and forth, and she said, says to me after saying congratulations, she writes, in case this doesn't translate into your literary academic background, you just got nominated for the Oscar of Mystery Writing. <laughs> so and so that all day sort of floated around the snow. Um, and I, I know I didn't write write it thinking about awards. You know, as I said, I had written this book I couldn't get published. And so the whole time I was writing my novel, I thought, if I can't sell this book, I don't know if I can do this again. You know, um, it was... I spent years on that other book, and then I had six years by the time I was done on this book, and I thought, mm. I was just hoping to get it, that I could sell it and get it published. That was my focus. Um, yeah. Only later, when it got to the marketing part, did I learn about all these wonderful awards and these groups and so forth. Um, and so, of course, I was absolutely thrilled to be nominated, um, especially after I've since read 
the people that I'm up against, and those books are really amazing. So, um, yeah. and I was flattered because I feel like mine's, as one reviewer said, that crosses borders and genres. Mine's sort of a mix of a lot of different things. So I was flattered that they took a broad view of mystery writing. Yeah. I think the Edgar's getting great about that, actually. But, so, I just want to touch back on one thing you said, which was Laurie Ritter Day emailed you, and Laurie is an award-winning writer herself. Was she right that, she said, in case with your literary academic background you don't know, was she right that you didn't even know what the Edgar was, or did self go off and you said, oh, my gosh, you know, different I, I knew that there were that they had awards, but I wasn't, I wasn't really aware of the name or exactly the caliber or quite what a big a deal it was. So, yeah, I was not sitting there, you know, staring, realizing it was at your own post birthday and to be watching, you know, very interesting. Okay, let's talk about awards on a writer's career. And, um, you know, we have a discussion forum for international thriller writers. All of you guys, of course, our author guests, I hope, will come over. And listeners who are members should definitely come over. But over there, we've been talking about the effect of awards on a writer's career. And I think the particular thread topic is actually, do awards translate to sales? Um, Matt, you won an award in 2014 for your first novel, Yesterday's Echo, and you've since gone on to keep being nominated. I mean, you're kind of clearly in that, you know, award circuit, I would call you. Um, tell us, what tangible effect do you feel like it has on a career? Well, I think you kind of maybe hit the nail on the head with maybe possibly the award circuit thing. I don't know. We'll see what happens with future books. But the, yeah. uh, some benefit to sales, I would say, uh, for the answer, I would say yes. Um, but probably not as deep and wide as I dreamed uh, and hoped. And it was, you know, probably – I mean, maybe maybe it goes on. Maybe when people go on Amazon and they see you've been nominated for an award or won an award, maybe that does make a difference, and maybe that's why they're buying a book now four years later. I don't, I'm not sure. But um, I do think it helps with amongst your – it helps um, give you a little bit more exposure. I would say that. I would say that amongst your peers and at conferences and maybe with um, – doing interviews such as this or um, newspaper interviews, something like that. Maybe it helps a little bit that way, and, and, and that probably transfers to um, sales. But as, as probably everybody knows, it's hard to quantify what helps sell a book. At least that's what I'm finding. It is. Yeah, and it's, such, and it's also such a delayed reaction, you know, because the awards, that, you know, announcements do come out, you know, usually long after a book is out, although not always, depending on pub date, but... Yeah. Okay, very interesting. David, you also touched on this, and I'm going to ask you, I guess real specifically, you said, you know, you don't know what the effect is, and of course your award's going to be announced for a recall in July, but you said you're really going to march ahead and use it as much as possible because it's a great, you know, opportunity. Tell us, can you be a little specific about that and tell us what your thoughts are? Uh, absolutely. So, I, I'm going to do my very best to make sure that, uh, you know, everything on be it on the website, be it, I mean, people do research before they buy a book, um, whether it be on Amazon, wherever, but I want to make sure that, that it is uh, kind of like a blurb, um, you know, and, and because I, I feel like it, it helps bring validation because when I, um, when I look at buying a book or when I look at buying 
really anything. One of the things I do is, yes, I do look at the reviews, but if, it, if there's anything else there, it does weigh in on my decision on, on whether I would actually buy that, that particular product. Uh, and, and doubly so when it comes to, like, a, you know, a movie. Like when, I, when I'm uh, looking to, like, let's say, watch a movie or something, uh, if it's received some sort of award other than, it will always have some sort of good blurb. But uh, if it's received some sort of award, then that kind of helps, well, validate that movie, that, that entertainment in my mind. Um, so I know that I've heard everybody say that no, it doesn't have um, a whole lot of effect on sales. And, and truthfully, I, I don't know, but I'm going to try my best to, to make sure I push it out there so that, so that the reader knows. Right. So your feeling is use it as a blurb. You know, say thriller nominated recall person. You know, Absolutely. that kind of thing is the way. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. So Nadine, you tell us your thoughts on awards and tangible benefits or lack thereof. What are, what are your feelings about this? You're not in trouble, so that's pretty good. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know um, if it increases sales or not yet, and. Um, I just, I love that you can actually put like that, I mean, Agatha nominated and, and the lucky nominated author. I think that's such a cool yeah. thing to be able to say. Uh, other than I haven't seen the tangible benefits, but as I said, it's just such an honor. So I'm super excited to be able to put that in um, my blurb. I just redid my bio for a blog post the other day, and I was like, oh, I can add Agatha nominated and lucky nominated author. So I'm definitely enjoying that part of it. Yeah, I mean, this speaks to what David was talking about earlier, which was the validation factor, and I think that's huge, and I actually, I, I think we're going to wrap up with a little conversation about that, but really tell us, and I know it's early days, although the editors are going to be, must be getting excited, first of all, because we're scared, but tell us what you think with the editor ceremony looming, and uh, any tangible benefits that you're thinking of or can imagine, or is that just not part of your calculation? Um. I guess the, the most immediate thing at first was I got an email from Ivan Held, the president of Putnam, just congratulating me. And so I felt like my book came out in July. And so I felt like I had this sort of second wave of in-house enthusiasm about me and the novel. And then there's been, I think, more press opportunities like the show and, and other things like that that have popped up because of it in this sort of second wave. Um, and then I guess... Now that I've written a novel, I'm a novelist, and it's like, okay, now you've been nominated for this thing. You better write another great book, and you better make it even better next time. So I, I feel like it's sort of a challenge to me, to myself, to keep going and to do better work. But I, I should say as well that I've been told if you win, that puts you in another whole category. And then they put a sticker on your book, and you know, mm -hmm. all you know, wonderful things happen. But I'm just. I'm happy to be nominated, and uh, we'll see what happens. I do, yeah. I mean, I and I actually, I was, I was going to mention this. I've actually seen books where it's Edgar nominated author, so I truthfully think they're both pretty valuable. But you just said something that I kind of wanted to throw out there um, for everybody, and I, I'm really just going to toss it up out there. Somebody speak first, but we only mentioned pressure. Does being nominated for an award, does it make you feel more pressure when you, are, you know, sit down and write the next page? And I don't know, maybe we'll start with David, I guess, since you already have uh, the third, you know, basically completed, even though the first uh, is, is just out. But let's talk about that role of pressure and start with David. Is that a factor at all now? 
like I like I have to pretend even harder to know what I'm doing. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's like a, uh, we talked about masks. You know, sometimes I feel like my mask is altered. Uh, but no, it's a. It does it make me feel more pressure? Um, no, I don't. I don't believe so. Um, I, I feel like it, it actually helps me. It actually helps you believe a little bit of it. Um, huh. But uh, but no, so I don't, I don't feel like it's. Um, like it's necessarily adversely affected me in that in that way. No. Matt, what about you? You're you're multi award nominated. Do you feel more pressure? I mean you touched on this a little in saying that it wasn't in your head when you wrote sat down to write Dark Fishers, but do you feel any sense of pressure? Well like the fourth better be, you know, the next one better be award nominated quality too? Um, honestly no, but I do feel pressure with each book. I mean most of it is self I ninety percent of it's self imposed. It's um Probably the fear, fear of failure and the virus descent on all of the anxiety. Um, so for for me, it's it's um, not not letting my publisher down, my agent down, and myself down. And um, so there's always pressure, but it's self-imposed. It's probably good. But the, but the award thing, probably no. We wrote a good book the first time, and that was crap. No, I I think about that on my own, but not from exterior. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like you're kind of your biggest source of pressure. Nadine, what about you? Do you feel any sense of, you know, pressure? You know, your second is going to come out in a few weeks. Is, do, you, do you feel the pressure to pop it? I don't feel, I don't feel pressure award-wise, but I have to um, concur completely with Matt because I put a lot of pressure on myself just to, to write another book that people will enjoy. But nothing really works, but definitely a, a ton of self-pressure. I think I'm my own worst enemy in that sense. Hmm. Although maybe your best, because I feel like pressure can be a catalyst as well. Um, well, I cannot believe we are only five minutes away from the end of our show. I really want our listeners, who I hope have discovered these wonderful authors tonight. Maybe Netman is the author of Uncorking a Lie, which is the second in the wine series. And if you know anything about wine, but also especially if you don't, you will get an inside look at a very, very verified world. And Matt Coyle, who's the author of Dark Fishers, which is a Hill series of novels, which take us to La Jolla and San Diego and a whole world that really exists, except that Matt puts his um, his fictional spin on it. And Lily Wright, who's the author of Dancing with the Tiger, also a world, I guess not that far from San Diego, actually, except a whole world away, um, Mexico, and the rarefied world of art and math. And David Michaelis, who's the author of the Red Ops series. And listeners who have been here for the whole show will probably uh, remember me talking about Red's encounter in a Walmart parking lot, which is not just, did you get a goodbye on a, you know, toilet paper today. So I hope readers will discover these authors, look for their works, and wish them luck at the upcoming awards ceremony. But let's wrap up with everybody. Just give us a couple of sentences about what's next for you, what you're working on, what we can look for in the coming year or so. And let's start with Lily. Yeah, um, almost all my writing is some form of travel writing. And so I'm, I'm moving from Mexico to Italy where my husband and I went on sabbatical four years ago. Um, and so the, it's going to be a story about an Italian man and an American woman who go on a double quest to solve a murder and find God. And um, mm-hmm. I'm just starting out. And, uh, no, just to clarify, I'm not thinking about awards, but I do feel pressure because I do want to write a beautiful book. And, uh, I agree with the other writers. Every time you start over, it's like starting over. 
the page is, is white and a little awesome. Yeah, I agree. Every novel is a brand new journey. You never quite, just because you did it once doesn't mean you can do it again. But you mentioned the word beautiful, Lily, and I have to say, having read Dancing with the Tiger, that is one thing that I feel confident you will get onto the page because it was, most of all, it's truly beautiful. You know, beautiful in the sense that there's great ugliness out there, too. But there is always a human heart to look for if you can find it. Thank you so much. So, Nadine, let's talk about what is next for you. I'm assuming it's the third Katie uh, solo adventure, but tell us a little bit about what's going on. Okay, so I'm just about to start edits on the third uh, wine series book, which should come out next May. And then I'm also working on a standalone domestic suspense, um, which I'm halfway through about right now, which is a lot of fun, a different, completely different from the wine, although there is still wine in it. <laughs> oh, very exciting. That is a departure. Love domestic suspense. Matt, what's next for you and Rick? Uh, fourth Rick Gale novel, Blood Truth, comes out in um, December. Ooh. It's uh, Rick finally, he discovers the truth about what led to his father's downfall. Um, and also, I don't know if I can say this, but I, I have to say it anyway. Um, I have, I'm going to be hosting a radio show, hopefully as well as you do, um, Jenny, called Crime Corner with um, Authors on the Air, and I think it starts on May 29th. Oh, that's exciting. Okay, yeah. so listeners, make note of that, Crime Corner with Authors on the Air. Very exciting. Um, and I love the title for the fourth novel. And also, readers of the math series will know, and people who are new to it. And I do want to stress, by the way, that even though there are, on, are ongoing issues to all three of the books, you really can jump in, I think, at any time. Um, so you can certainly pick up a copy of Dark Pictures and get to know Rick at that stage in the game. But it's interesting. There's a lot of emotion in the series and a lot of um, personality stuff going on. So it's interesting that you're going to go deep in the fourth book now. It's pretty deep. Thanks. I do start with All characters. Right. That's the most I start with characters, so for me that's the most important part. Of right, right, which kind of brings us full circle to, to which kind of conception. So, David, tell us what is next for uh, you and Red, and um, I know that you've got, you know, more than one squared away already, but tell us a little bit. Well, uh, right now I'm actually working on a book that my daughter and I plotted out when she was, I was helping her through a, a creative writing class, and we plotted out uh, an, an amazing uh, Nordic, a Viking, uh, a paranormal that probably squeezes into the YA category, um, or genre, I should say, and um, I just couldn't, I could not get out of my head. So I'm about 25% of the way through that, and depending on what my uh, what my agent Thinks about it uh, in, once I send it to her here in a, here in a little bit, um, or at least the first uh, you know few chapters. Depends on whether uh, whether I go back to uh, and continue uh, Red Ops number four or whether I complete this book. Very exciting. That's really neat. Um, Jody Pico wrote a novel with her daughter. I don't know if anybody remembers that. That's very. Cool. How old is your daughter, David? She's eighteen. Uh, really neat thing to do. Well, I have to thank my guests again, Matt Coyle, David McCaleb, Nadine Natman, Dancing with the Tiger, Lily Wright, Lily Wright. I'm sorry, I'm going to mention, I'm going to go back and do it again because I really want to say everybody's titles of their books. Matt Coyle, Dark Fishers is just out, it's the third in the McCahill series. Nadine Natman, whose wine series, Sommelier Mysteries, Uncorking Alive, the second in the series, is about to come out in a couple of weeks. 
Really Right, Who's Dancing with the Tiger is her debut novel, and David McCaleb, Recall is the first in the Red Ops series. I'm thrilled to have you on, thrilled that you were all nominated for such prestigious awards, and I wish you all the best in the writing years to come. Thanks, Robin. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Good night.